Hi, I'm Lily, and welcome to Think Law, a podcast series brought to you by four LSE students, where we interview people from different legal backgrounds to guide aspiring law students. In this episode, we're excited to have a conversation with Harry Sanderson, during which we will focus primarily on the path to becoming a barrister, legal master degrees, and the field of equity. We're really excited to have Harry Sanderson here with us today. Um, Hi, Harry. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Would you like to briefly introduce yourself? Yeah. So I'm a a recent law graduate. Um, I'm from Australia originally, which is where I did my undergraduate and then Juris Doctor degrees in Australia for context. Much like America now, you can't study law at uh, the first instance as an undergraduate. So you do an undergraduate and then a qualifying law degree, the Juris Doctor. Uh, after I finished my Juris Doctor, immediately after actually, I moved to England to study a LLM, which is really a, just a legal master's at Cambridge University. And now I work as a judicial assistant at the High Court in London. Okay, interesting. And um, um, and just more on your, your pursuit of an LLM um, at Cambridge, um, what do you think is the value of, of doing a legal master's and what kind of drove your pursuit of this? Yeah, so I think the great thing about a master's is that uh, it's very different for everyone. I'd say there's probably three things that really mattered to me, um, two of which I think are, are maybe more common. So the first is obviously you, you really specialise in the fields of law you do. So in any undergraduate degree or something like a Juris Doctor, of course you're studying everything. You know, you have to get a view of the whole kind of lay of the law. So you're doing things like land law, maybe some equity. This is at least in the Commonwealth system. Um, a master's gives you the chance to really focus your interests, I think. And part of that is discovering new things you're interested in. But um, it might also, if you already have a, a really developed set of interests, mean just going into them further. So personally, I split my time between public and private law, but gave me a chance to study new topics that were probably more specific than you'd find in your average undergrad course. So things like specialist topics in restitution or conflict of laws that really, um, yeah, I think both focus and kind of develop your interests in those areas. The second thing, which again, I think is is probably common for everyone in a master's is um, it just gives you a bit more time to figure out what you want to go into. So I think a lot of people in undergraduate law degrees don't necessarily have a very clear idea of what they want to do after law, which I think is, is fine. And a master's gives you kind of a year to, to really consolidate your interests and um, in, in a lot of cases, I think, get something that maybe looks a bit more developed on your CV um, before you begin working. And then the third thing, which I would say is unique to me, but I, I think is, is actually true of a lot of people, particularly in England and probably America, particularly those coming from, say, Canada or Australia, is it just settles you in a new country a bit. So I think it can be uh, quite a bit harder to come from another jurisdiction and um, you know, begin working immediately. Certainly not impossible. I know people do, but doing a master's can, can allow you to kind of, and, and for me, allow me to land in England and um, just settle myself a bit, you know, figure out what I wanted to do, get familiar with the law system, legal system, and uh, and work out whether I want to stay, which, as it turns out, I did. And just to dive more deeply into into your journey so far, um, kind of what was always your end, end goal that, that you were striving towards, and did you have doubts along the way? And is it more the, the solicitor route or, or the barrister route 
um, that that you're heading down? Yeah, so I mean, look, I, I am a recent graduate, I'm very happy to be working as a judicial assistant now and, and still don't have exactly a, a certain idea of what I'll be doing in my career. Uh, I'm interested in going to the bar and becoming a barrister. Um, in answer to the main question, I think um, it's always a bit hard to say whether you have a, a certain idea. I certainly didn't know exactly what I wanted to do from day one and didn't know whether I could do it really because you don't know, you know how things are going to pan out for you in law school. Um, I think I, I, when I entered law school, I had no real idea of what I was interested in, um, but I did know that I was vaguely interested in kind of language and argument and maybe even the kind of philosophical side of law. Um, but I really did focus my interests and develop really new interests um, during law school and really decide that I wanted to be more involved in litigation and, and public interest litigation, ideally. So um, I think one of the most anxiety-inducing things about law school is, firstly, it's very competitive, and secondly, there's there's a really wide range of options, which can, I think, give people a bit of dizziness of freedom at times. But um, ultimately, I think that's the strength of, of the law, you know, there's so many different things you can do. So um, it's a bit hard, right, because you have to kind of have a conclusion in mind, right, otherwise you don't know where you're going, but it's always important to remain flexible, and, and I have many friends who have changed paths pretty radically in law, even after maybe they were working as a solicitor and, you know, decided to go to the bar or, or vice versa, or even people that, you know, were working in law and, and didn't particularly like it, which who can blame them, uh, and decided to leave the field entirely and do all sorts of things in um, public policy, work for NGOs. Um, so I think it's a bit of a process of, of recalibration that I'm very much still in the middle of. Okay. And can you tell us a bit more about the work that you're, you're doing right now, um, any any insights um, and what kind of the day-to-day -day looks like for you? Yeah, so I should have mentioned at the start, I actually really do two things in a sense. So I tutor undergraduates at Cambridge at Corpus Christi College in equity, which is a, a kind of third-year paper um, that involves kind of fairness in the law, if you like, uh, and also work at the, the Royal Courts of Justice as a judicial assistant full-time. Um, I think that is one of the great things about the law, particularly those probably more common on the barrister side, is it's a very academic profession. So you can really remain involved in your university and uh, do a lot of different and kind of nuanced uh, academic topics on the side that you might not get that specific specificity in practice. Um, in terms of my full-time job as a judicial assistant, right now I'm in the commercial court, which is kind of one division of the court, but... I think that's the great thing about the judicial assistant job, which is in some sense a bit of a, a kind of pit stop for students because it's normally one year after your degree that you do it. Um, it's, it's not something you stay in for a long time, but it's a great way to get more experience in the law and obviously experience in the courts, which is really rare, even I think for junior barristers and solicitors. Um, the great thing about the judicial assistant role is that even though you are normally in one, two or three divisions across your time because you kind of rotate, you get a lot of different experience. So um, the London High Court is, is one of the most diverse in terms of practice areas in the world. You have a lot of international litigation, but really you have, you know, you have, I have friends working in the family division, um, the construction technology division, um, uh, criminal, um, public law, civil division, commercial. And even if you're with a commercial judge, occasionally they will do criminal matters. Uh, they might sit in the odd kind of... Um, CACD administrative matter. So you really get a, a fairly wide range of experience. And 
um, again, even once you've graduated and I'm someone that now I think has a reasonably set kind of few areas of focus, it never hurts to, to do some crime, to do some maybe more kind of hardcore public work because you're, you're always recalibrating and, and finding new things. And um, there's all sorts of topics that I think um, probably for good reason and out of kind of practical necessity just aren't taught in law school. So um, one example is probably competition law. Nothing I ever really came across in law school had to do with competition law. It's a fairly economics heavy area of law and I think it's just not practical to teach to undergraduates, but it's a field of work that's really um, kind of vibrant, especially in London and particularly important, especially when it involves regulatory aspects. So there's really a, a great deal that you're exposed to uh, in something like a judicial assistant role that um, I, I would recommend to anyone. Okay, I just want to ask a bit more about um, your work uh, tutoring at Cambridge um, and kind of your, your interest in equity and, and how that emerged and, and what exactly equity is um, for the listeners to know. Yeah, yeah so the annoying thing uh, for my students and uh, often for me is that equity is a, a really difficult area to define. I think any law student who's studied it will know this. Um, equity essentially involves rules about rules, so it's a very... Uh, historically uh, involved area of law, let's say, which initiated from the courts of chancery that used to kind of um, make new rules that were conditioned legal rules. So one example might be if, if someone signs a, signs a contract that is completely fine in law and has all the elements you need for a legally enforceable contract, um, but someone felt that for whatever reason it was unfair. So let's say perhaps they were put under duress to sign that contract. Um, you know, there, there was a, a, a gun to their head, metaphorically speaking, and they, they had no other choice to make. The courts of law will say, effectively, too bad. Um, and the courts of equity will say that that doesn't quite seem fair. It's a slight oversimplification, and, and obviously the jurisprudence very heavily um, with the judicial both those fields now fused. So uh, all courts now apply law and equity, but equity still um, kind of comes out over law if you like. Um, it's a very diverse field, a really um, contentious field. There's been, in the last few years, just in England alone, really significant Supreme Court cases, um, Times Travel and Pakistan International Airlines is one, uh, decision of 2022, guest and guest about proprietary estoppel. Um, but the Supreme Court is, is um, very much acknowledging that this is a field that's really um, a bit of a mess, to be honest. Um, and developing new doctrines, mostly centered on unconscionability, um, which I think are, are fairly controversial and, and according to a lot of academics that I think are very happy to have something to write about, uh, a little uncertain. Um, it's a paper that all students, at least in England and Australia, I know, take, and I think that's that's really great because it's, it's very important to the law and, and a really, again, historically significant area, um, very difficult to learn, very difficult in some ways to, to teach because there's not a lot of certainty. But as I said, with regards to the academics, I think that that's actually a lot of fun. It gives you a lot to, to write about, to talk about, and to engage in an area, I mean, like most areas of law, but I think it's particularly true of equity. It was really developing very fast and taking some, some strange turns. Okay, thank you. And just to touch on your overall journey so far, um, what would you pinpoint as, as the biggest challenge that you've had so far? And and how you went about it and, and, and overcame it. Yeah, so I think, to be honest, as a person, I've, I've faced very little challenges. I've been really lucky to go to some great law schools and have some really wonderful professors and 
most importantly for me as a person, have some really great classmates because I think I'm someone that really relied on others and was pulled up by others uh, that were probably working a, a lot harder than me. I think what I'd pinpoint as a big challenge, and I think this is fairly common uh, amongst most people, is in first year law school, getting there and seeing the real step up just in terms of quantity of reading. Law, I think, particularly when you're, you're just learning kind of the, the bare bones, if you like, at first year, second year, undergrad level before you've started doing maybe the more kind of research-based stuff that I'm at least starting to do or, or you certainly do in a master's, you really just have to get through a lot of content. You know, you have to read all these foundational texts, a lot of textbooks, kind of the odd article. And I remember, and again, I, I think this is fairly common getting to law school, particularly if, if you're not the brightest student in the world, as I certainly wasn't, and really finding it difficult to get across all that content. Um, I think it's true now, and it's always been true, but it's, it's um, for good reason discussed more now. A lot of students really um, have a, an enormous shock at that and face a lot of um, anxiety, overworking, burnout. And learning to manage your reading, to kind of read well, which is a skill that I actually, well, I certainly didn't have an undergrad and is something I only developed with a lot of instruction in law school. And most importantly, and I think this isn't discussed a lot and it's certainly not something I'd want my students to hear, but just deciding what not to read, I think when, when to decide to kind of leave the ball, if you will, is really important because um, you get these enormous reading lists and of course you have to work yourself hard to try and understand the topic, but at times you need to decide not to read the whole of a case or not to you know do the further reading. Um, often that's just because you're doing so much and, and law students also have a lot of other things on, like you know applications or maybe doing some work. But also I think at times just to protect yourself a bit, you know, you need to be sleeping. Ideally you need to be exercising. I think learning to balance that is, is something that all law students go through, some better than others. I'm very happy to admit that I'm still working it out and probably will be working it out for um, most of whatever sort of career I have, if indeed I have one. Um, but that is, I think, the, the biggest struggle. Yeah. And all that's definitely a really good insight. Um, and just in terms of after you finished um, your law master's, um, what were the steps that you took after after that and what kind of got you to, to the job that, that you have now? Yeah, another thing that I hope is, is maybe relatable is that even though I really knew what I wanted to do um, after law school, uh, I didn't really take many steps to do it, to be honest, particularly because I was in a new country and also a law master's is quite intensive. Again, I think probably the brighter or more organised students can put themselves together and um, you know make applications and do uh, internships uh, and think about their future during law school. I certainly wasn't one of those. So I actually came out of Cambridge with really no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I knew I wanted to teach and so I asked and um, was to be honest quite lucky because uh, a really great equity lawyer had gone on leave so they allowed me to, to sub in as a fairly sorry replacement. Um, and then I just applied to um, several kind of internships, a few firms but knew I really wanted to work at the court because I was interested in becoming a barrister one day and wanted to get some experience early. Um, in terms of any advice there, I think and this is something that I think it is also always beneficial for law students to hear, or it was certainly beneficial for me to hear, is that the nature of studying law, because it's very competitive and there's also I think, kind of exponential amount of people, especially in England and Australia, enrolling in law degrees, is that you get so many rejection letters. I think I could paper my walls with the rejection letters at this point. Um, so I guess the short answer is I applied to a lot of jobs and didn't get them and then kept trying because I think that's what you have to do. Um, and eventually got a really great job that I really wanted. 
and just more about the application process kind of is, is there specific advice you could give um and kind of just how exactly it works um yeah yeah so applying to be a judicial assistant is, is fairly straightforward um you essentially fill out a form and then there's an interview with a judge and um, some other people that work at the court where they talk through your cv and just gauge your interest for the role um so that's that should all be fairly familiar um I think in terms of advice for writing applications, it's, it's a skill that I wasn't at least taught. I think they have too much to teach you in law schools to sit down and do that. Um, although I know there's, there are some good classes and maybe um, kind of law uh, organizations that run them. But in terms of my advice, I think it's really, really beneficial to find someone that has worked in that role or even just someone that works in a similar role that has a job and has maybe has experience applying for things because... It is really difficult to figure out what the kind of form of an application should be, what's going to work, even on the kind of really basic level of how long it should be, what sort of stuff should you put in there. Um, one thing about lawyers, I will say, even though uh, there's a lot of probably historically true negative stereotypes about them, I will find at least in London and Australia, almost every lawyer that I've reached out to, many of them complete strangers, are always very generous with their time because they all have the experience of having been law students and I just find it generally fairly nice people. So emailing any any barrister maybe that you've met or solicitor you've met, depending on which field you want to go into, or even just speaking to some of your professors, people were very generous with their time with me, looking over my applications, telling me what was kind of nonsense, telling me what I should work on um, and figuring out how to, to pitch yourself to uh, an institution or whatever organisation you're going to. And just as a final question, um, is there any specific piece of advice or the advice that you wish um, you would have heard um, before you started your journey uh, that you'd, you'd like to give to our, to our listeners? Yeah, I think it comes back to something I said before, which is in law, unless you're kind of a really, really bright student, of which there's maybe one or two a year, and again, of which I was certainly not, is just to get very used to the feeling of rejection. Um, in law, again, because it's so competitive and so kind of overpopulated nowadays, you're going to get a lot, a lot of rejection. Some of those are going to be for things you maybe applied for and were just interested in, which always hurts a bit less. And some are going to be from, from jobs that you or, or universities that you really thought that you wanted to go to, or really did want to go to, but you know didn't quite make it. So I think there's just a mental aspect of that, of, of taking care of yourself and getting used to the feeling of, not being quite good enough or, you know, at that time for that position. Again, I certainly had many of those um, and, and figuring out how not to let it get you down a bit, how to maintain kind of a healthy standard of, you know, exercising and, and keeping working and, you know, focusing on yourself. But I think there's also an aspect to resilience, um, which is maybe a bit harder to swallow, which is really thinking about why you didn't quite make the cut at that time and, and how you can make it next time. Um, there's, there's several little internships that I applied to more than once, didn't get them the first time, maybe didn't get them the second time, but you look at your application, ideally you ask for feedback, although they don't always have time to give it, but um, you know, you, you just reflect a bit and, and figure out what you can do better. Um, and I think it's one of the best feelings is, is doing that, even though it is really hard to think, you know, why wasn't I good enough in this circumstance? But um, when you do face up to that and do get better at it, you, you really can improve, you know, I think. The great thing about law is, again, it's, it's more about content and kind of development than I think any kind of God-given or innate uh, intelligence. It's actually, I think, a fairly simple field um, by and large with maybe a few exceptions. And so you can really just, just 
keep going through it, grin and bear it a bit, get used to the rejection and then find that um, with a few months, a few years, maybe more work and a bit more development, putting a bit more kind of experience in your CV or doing some more academic work, whatever it is, um, you can really, I think, find what you want to do and, and reach it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Harry. This this is definitely a very insightful episode for, for our listeners who are aspiring barristers, uh, such as yourself. Um, and yeah, we wish you the best with, with your future journey. Thanks so much.